0: Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon.
1: This morning's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 118, verses 1 through 29. Hear now the reading of God's word. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The New Testament reading is from John 12, verses 12 through 26. The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continues to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning. Great to see you all. And Pastor Craig, if I haven't got to meet you yet, I know this is the time when. Some folks are moving into town, into New Haven. We are uh, in the middle of of just a mini-series on the Psalms. We finished the Gospel of John uh, just a few weeks ago. We spent the year in the Gospel of John and are spending the next few weeks in Psalms that are especially relevant to the Gospel of John. And so with Psalm 118, I want us to, to think about why is this Psalm hard for us to read and relate to. And I think where I want to start is we don't really act or think about having enemies very much, do we? I mean, our political landscape is becoming more and more polarized, so we sort of treat each other like enemies a lot more now. But in general, I feel like, at least myself and, and those that I know, you're not really talking about being in an intense battle all the time. Are you? I know when I was watching the, the sitcom The Office, it really struck me. Pam Beasley, one of the characters, realized that somebody didn't like her. And Pam said to the camera, I hate the idea that someone out there hates me. I hate even thinking that Al-Qaeda hates me. I think if they got to know me, they wouldn't hate me but Karen knows me, and she still hates me. I I think that's just a perfect picture of this sort of Western, modern, naive view of the world, naive way that we kind of carry ourselves that doesn't really believe in evil, doesn't really believe in enemies. I also think of the classic Jewish mom in Seinfeld who says to Jerry, how could anyone not like you? My mom has definitely said that to me. (laughs) The sad thing about this, if this is in fact true, the, the sort of corollary that comes with this is if you don't have enemies, then you don't have any victory to celebrate. You don't have any overcoming to celebrate. Now, this is certainly something that we can probably learn from the global church churches that lean more Pentecostal maybe, the black church, they just celebrate a lot more, don't they? They have a deep appreciation. There is celebration that is built in to their church, to their culture more, something that surely we need to learn from. I think we want to ask ourselves, why? Why does it seem like we're maybe embarrassed to celebrate? the victory of God, a bit ashamed, a bit too caught up in all the worldly burdens that we don't feel like have been overcome. That's what I want us to think about as we turn to this psalm. This psalm has incredible foreshadowings of Christ, and it clearly pictures the Christian life as one that is full of enemies, but that is also saturated with victory, saturated with celebration. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Lord, we do praise you for this day that you have made. We ask that you would speak now by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would dwell among us, that you would speak precisely where you know we need to hear from you. You would challenge those who are hard-hearted, that you would comfort those who are broken, Lord, meet us, that you would be glorified, and that we would be made more into the image of Christ individually and as a church. We pray in his name, amen. So I want to look at really two main uh, issues that the psalm is showing us. One is that the Christian life is full of enemies, and the second is Christian life is full of victory. So enemies. Enemies. What do we see here in the psalm? Well, clearly, the psalmist has this sense that enemies are all around. All around them. We don't know exactly if this was written by David or a successor of David. Clearly, some kind of king, some kind of military victor is coming back after the victory and is in this kind of procession march into the temple or the tabernacle He's going back and forth even with maybe the congregation, maybe the priests who were there. There There's a lot of dialogue happening. But clearly he has come out of a situation where enemies were all around. Verse 10, he says, all nations, all the Gentiles surrounded me in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. Have you ever been surrounded by bees? You like stepped on a hive or something and they're just everywhere. It's intense and frightening, especially if you're allergic. This is how he is describing his enemies. And now remember... That this is a prayer, maybe it's a prayer shared aloud to the church, maybe it's, uh, well certainly it's allowed to the church in this context, and this is the time where he is talking about all of these enemies that he has faced. The enemies are powerful, they're brutal, they're intense. We certainly need to realize that there is nothing Christian about diminishing our enemies, acting as if our problems are not real problems. Because the psalmist is full of honest descriptions of his problems. Sometimes his problems are his own self. In this case, his problems were these military fights. This is a big issue, I think, for us, the way that we either Don't admit that there is a problem, then there's no solution that we're going to celebrate. Maybe we diminish that our sin is around us. We don't want to act as if it's really that serious. This is really, I'm preaching so much to myself right now. I can tell you. my. I can blame maybe my family of origin or my personality. Whatever it is, I, I seem to want to not ruffle any feathers. Let's just stay calm. So as soon as someone gets any alarmist or whatever, I, mean, I try to always diminish it. And it can be a serious problem, especially in relationships. If someone is crying out, then you are not the person who is going to be safe. You are going to be cruel if you diminish them, right? No, no, it's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. What does that say? What does that imply about them or their feelings? It took me years and years to learn this, and I'm still learning it. But it's not. There's nothing distinctly Christian about not naming the problems or the issues. Certainly, the psalmist is not afraid of that. Is that a problem that you have? Maybe it's because you don't want to face them. You don't want to admit that they're there. There's a lot of issues, a lot of reasons why that can be, right? The psalmist is not that way, and certainly God is not that way. He does not want us to diminish them. Our psalmist is talking about quite literal enemies that he has fought against in a literal battle. And so we need to think about why is this different for us. Because in the New Covenant context, we do have a different enemy. We're going to see, we still in fact do have enemies, but we are, they are not the sort that we can take up the sword and defeat. Because of Jesus... And his work on the cross, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Sorry kids, it's not as fun as it may sound when you're reading some of the Old Testament. To pick up a sword and go fight is not necessarily going to be that sort of epic quest. Although we're going to see it's actually much better. That's important. It's important when you read the Psalms to realize it's just not that sort of fight. We do not fight against flesh and blood. If you're engaged in a battle that can be won by the sword, there's nothing distinctly Christian about it. It may be a battle that should be fought, sure, but it's not distinctly Christian. It's not ushering in the kingdom of God or bringing salvation. Which is partly why fighting culture wars will only ever take us so far. If you are passionate about certain culture wars, even if you are right, and even if you get 100% of what you hope to get, what are you left with? Still a need for Jesus. Still a need for salvation. At best, it is secondary. Right? So our enemies, as they're traditionally Described are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh being the sinful nature that is still alive, still at work in us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Not necessarily those other people, right? Us versus them is nothing like the Christian battle. Because what do we learn throughout the Gospels is that if we're pointing the finger, it's actually Jesus is the only one who can point the finger. Jesus is the only good Israelite. When we come to him, that's when the battle begins, you could say. If we are not in Christ, if we are not born again by the holy spirit there is a sense in which you're not even battling at all you're just coasting along with the enemies of your soul you're working in step with the enemies who want to drag you away from god and so when you become a christian and i realize this is not a great sales job But the Christian life is not a sales pitch. When you become a Christian, that's when the battle begins. That's when the enemies all of a sudden appear. Because now you have someone who wants to keep you from God. Now you have been born again and you suddenly see the world in a different way. And now the world, your sinful nature, and the devil awaken. Of course, it's very hard to fight a battle. If you are, in fact, a Christian, it's hard to fight a battle against an enemy you never realize you're seeing. How many of that is us? Where we forget we're engaged in a spiritual battle, maybe we act like we're too sophisticated, we don't want to talk about it, It sounds a little too strange to us, Maybe we are distracted. Maybe we get distracted by the wrong battles. One way to think of this battle is to hear what Jesus said in John 12 when he's describing his own battle. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He then goes on and says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So the battle that Jesus is talking about on the cross is such that that is where the ruler of the world was cast out. So any battle that we are engaged in, if the cross is irrelevant to it, It is not a distinctly Christian battle. If you don't need Jesus to have died in this battle, loosen your grip. It may be an important moral thing, but it's not the ultimate battle. At best, it's penultimate. At best, it's secondary, so you can loosen your grip. The enemy ultimately wants to pull you away from God. Pull you away from relying on the victory that Jesus has accomplished. That's the primary battle. That's what we want to see exalted. So I'm happy to talk more about this afterwards if you'd like, but I want to make sure to not over-exaggerate the enemies, right? We tend to under-exaggerate them probably, but we wouldn't just want to go from one extreme to the other. So let's talk about what does it mean that the Christian life is full of victory? Well, we see it in many places in the psalm. Psalm 18, actually, i sorry, verse 18, right after he says, I'm going to recount the deeds of the Lord, what does he say? The Lord disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. So one way that we are actually living in this sort of victory, maybe this doesn't sound like a great victory, but I hope you'll see that it is, that anything that you are encountering, if you are a Christian, is coming through the will of God, coming through the hands of a loving Heavenly Father. You will, if you can't see it now, you will be able to look back and say, The Lord was at work, even in the midst of your enemies. Even in the midst of your suffering and your pain, the Lord was at work. That is an incredible victory, an incredible truth. You see it all throughout the New Testament. Paul says crazy things like you can rejoice even in the midst of sufferings. But he has not given me over to death, the psalmist says. We can say that even better than the psalmist. Don't be shy when you're reading the psalms. We're in a better place than even King David. So David can say he has not given me over to death, but he does get given over to death, right? Right? You can, the Israel can say these things, but they're still wondering, what about the next battle? But in Jesus, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder. We can say he is not given me over to death because Jesus' resurrection has defeated death. So that even when we die, it has lost its sting. That is an amazing assurance in the face of our enemies. That even in the midst of it even if we are facing death we can have that sort of assurance hallelujah so the lord is at work in the midst of our enemies but then let's get to earlier in the psalm verses six through nine these are ones that are worth memorizing saying to yourself over and over and over the lord is on my side He is for me. I will not fear. Dang, what if we could say that? What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. That word helper is the same word used about Eve back in Genesis 2, which is interesting. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. Than to trust in princes. Remember, this is being said by someone who is a prince or a king or a military leader. I have just won, but don't trust in the likes of me. Do we act this way? Do we act as if there really is no competitor with our Lord? That there is no one who can stand. Against him. If I can say the Lord is on my side, then I can say, I will not fear. Now, that doesn't mean just because you're a Christian, everything you do, the Lord is on your side of doing that. Certainly. But it does mean that if you do, in fact, have an enemy of, well, we all know we have these enemies of our own sin of living in a world that wants us to not believe, to become more selfish, whatever it may be, we can say, the Lord is on my side. Jesus has given us that stamp, that sort of certainty. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. The Lord is more powerful than anything you will come up against, anything you will face, anyone you will meet, anyone who claims to have power over you, the Lord is more powerful, and his steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love, that's 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 the 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 OG word for the Old Testament. I mean, that's the the big main thing. Chesed. Steadfast love, the old translations, loving kindness, loving mercy. It's this covenant love that the God of the Bible has promised. That steadfast love is what endures. That is what endures forever. Not just for a few days, it endures so we can say the Lord is more powerful than any enemy. And then finally, the Lord is victorious in Jesus Christ. I want to look more explicitly. To where we see Jesus in this psalm, especially verses 22 through 26. Let me read it just to remind you, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. We heard the reading from John where they're quoting this exact verse. Hosanna. Hosanna is just the save us. Save us. Hosanna. Save us, Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds are saying this to Jesus as he is entering Jerusalem for the final time. Now that in in itself... Is amazing. It's true in every gospel. All four gospels have this account of the triumphal entry. Another important, amazing thing about this is that these, this psalm, Psalm 118, was the last of a series of psalms from 113 to 118 called the Egyptian Halal. When you think about Egypt in the Bible, you should think about the Passover. These, this is a group of psalms that were sung at the Passover. So, some people think they literally could have either just sung this psalm or have been singing it in the temple at the same time as Jesus is entering Jerusalem when he is coming as the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was true in a minor way in David's time. Solomon's time, whoever it may have been, now they can really say it. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is Jesus, the one who comes on our behalf. Exodus, you see, also Exodus is quoted. So after they cross the Red Sea, they sing a song in Exodus 15, which is quoted in our psalm The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. We have an incredible victory in Jesus. And then one of the, one of the most cited passages in all the New Testament, this business about the stone and the cornerstone. It may be familiar to you. It was something that happened way back in Isaiah 28. seems to have been a stone that was literally used by God to judge Israel It became a stone that they thought was useless for the building of the temple that then becomes the key stone that measures everything. Notice what's happening in the psalm, though. In the psalm, the stone that the builders rejected, the stone is David, or whoever wrote it. The builders are the nations, the goyim, the Gentiles, the ones who are against Israel. Jesus himself Quotes this very verse to the Jewish leaders in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and says, You, supposed Israel, have become like the Gentiles as you have become enemies to me. You have become like the Gentiles, but the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Acts 4, they're under trial. Peter is speaking. They're told not to preach Jesus anymore. And he says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man, by him, this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Peter is saying that on trial to the Jewish leaders. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We start. I know I said we start, and that's when the battle begins, and that is true. But the Christian life also starts in victory. This is our starting point. This is why we worship on Sunday. We start on the day of resurrection. We don't wonder is God going to win in the end? We've already seen the trailer to the movie, it just hasn't all come out yet. We start in victory. We start by saying "The, the builders have rejected Jesus. And he is the one who has been raised, gone through death. Why is this better? Why is this sort of battle better than having the physical, literal, sword-type battle? Which sounds fun in romantic stories. It's better because Jesus already took your sword. Peter came with a sword thinking he was going to fight the literal battle. Jesus ends up taking the sword and placing it on himself. He places it on himself. There's no swords left. So if we are engaged in some sort of sword fight, we may be, in fact, acting as if Jesus has not died in our place, was not crucified. crucified. So there's a sense in which those battles are sub-Christian, pre-Christian. I think they're also too easy. Culture wars, often, it's like a shortcut. It's not as hard, if you think about it. It'd be a lot easier. I mean, if I could just see a devil standing there, it would be really fun to take a sword and try to fight. But try to grow in patience and kindness. When you have a newborn baby like Jerry, that's hard. Try to grow in generosity when your family is taking everything from you. Try to try to love your enemies, not just tolerate them, not just ignore them, stop following them on Facebook, try to love them. That's the Christian battle, and that's the sort of battle that we can actually engage in, have power to engage in because he's already taken the sword. Try to be faithful in a world that wants us to lose faith. And so this incredible victory, I want us to especially see that it is, of course, in Jesus, and it is worth celebrating. This psalm is full of celebrations. What sort of celebrations do we see? Well, one, there are repetitive aspects to this. This is important for us. They're repetitive. We need to sometimes learn how to celebrate, and so we need to do the same thing over and over so that it will actually get down into our heart and our soul. So there are repetitions in this psalm and many psalms. What does he repeat? The steadfast love endures forever. You say it. The steadfast love endures forever. You say it. He's he's calling out people in the congregation. Israel. The priests. Those who fear God. This is an important aspect, I think, of our spirituality that we want to rediscover. Do you repeat things? Do you do things over and over and over? Or do you complain when a song repeats a line? It's not about information always. You may already have the information you need. The steadfast love endures forever. Yeah, got it. Check. Let's move on. If you say that, you simply don't actually have the information you think you have. Because you don't really believe. If you really believed, you would want to say it and sing it over and over. Because Christians are those who sing. There has to be music in a worship service. There has to be some kind of singing in a service, Right? We need this repetition. We're not trying to manipulate each other into some kind of emotion, sure. There's a ditch on that end too, but we need to repeat what we know is true. It's also worth celebrating all together. You see that it's communal. There seems to be this like procession and he literally comes up to the gates that are closed in verse 19 and says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may give thanks to the Lord. Let me in. If you don't let me in so we can celebrate together, then I can't properly give thanks. And so we have all of these back and forth aspects. This is not just one person celebrating by himself. It's together. What God is doing, creating communities that celebrate his victory together. And then, of course, we see that this celebration is so incredibly confident. It's not boastful, but it's confident. What's the difference? Well, I think boastful is more self-reflective, isn't it? more concerned about ourselves. We need to make sure that people know that I'm the one who has defeated the enemy. Maybe it's out of fear. Maybe it's out of shame. Maybe it's out of pride, self-righteousness. That's the boasting that can be sinful. This is not, this is a humble confidence. It's the Lord's steadfast love that has endured. It's the Lord who has won. The victory. It is better to trust in the Lord than to take refuge in a man or princes or a sword or whatever it may be. Do we have this sort of picture? The word salvation and the word for victory are the same. They're the same in Hebrew. It's also the word for Jesus, Yeshua. Salvation, victory, Yeshua, Jesus, it's all the same. Hebrew word so when they read about Joshua in the Old Testament they're reading about the one who is victorious and they're reading about Jesus what would it mean for us to celebrate like the psalmist his steadfast love endures forever you will not outlast it or outlive it it is better to trust and take refuge in the Lord Than it is to trust in me. Amen. Let's prepare to come to this table. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five star rating, share it with your friends or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.